Welcome everyone to the seventh edition of the Learning to Lead podcast. This month I had the honor of sitting down with John Stalwart, who is the president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation and Serving Leaders. He's also the founder of the SHIP Company and author of The Serving Leader. He teaches in graduate leadership programs of Geneva College in Beaver Falls, PA, and backgraduate university in Seattle, Washington, and Hong Kong. He also serves on the Mennonite Education Agency Board and consults on the subject of serving leadership in new Numerous businesses, nonprofit organizations, universities, and hospital. John is also a member of the National Speakers Association. And it was an absolute honor to sit down with John. That is a short, short, short list of all of his accomplishments. And uh, I really hope you enjoy this. So let's just jump right into the interview. Thank you, John, so much for, for being willing to sit down and interview. I'm really excited to, to hear what you have to offer on the subject of leadership. And uh, let's just start off. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, what serving leaders all about, your family, and some of your passions. Okay. Uh, well, let me start out with a, a quick word about Serving Leaders. Uh, uh, we exist here at Serving Leaders to uh, awaken great purpose in the lives of the men and women that we serve. Uh, we believe that that um, a human being is on earth to serve a purpose bigger than themselves. And uh, we believe that the enterprises that we're put in charge of exist for purposes that are bigger than their own existence. And... Uh, and so uh, we work with, with men and women through our programs here to help them get deeply connected to why they're on earth, what it is that they have great passion about, uh, and then to, um, uh, to learn how to lead and to move and to, and to create fruitfulness in their enterprises that serves great purpose in the world. Um, you asked a couple of questions there. So uh, yeah. uh, about myself, uh, I'm... Uh, Married 32 years to uh, to Melanica. We have a couple of daughters, two daughters. Uh, one is uh, living in Tucson, and the other is still in school here. Wow. In What's Pittsburgh. your daughter doing in Tucson? My 22-year-old is working with a with a church volunteer program there, teaching uh, urban farming to recovering addicted women through an organization called the Primavera Foundation. So she's Marrying her love for uh, the earth and for farming, yeah, uh, with um, uh, doing doing great stuff with people recovering from from their brokenness. Uh, and my uh, younger girl is is just starting eighth grade at Trinity Christian School this fall. That's great. So, what are some of the things you're passionate about personally? Well, my passion fundamentally is is to. Uh, be an encourager to people. Um, people are aware of, um, of of all the projects I've been involved in over the years. I've started a lot of stuff, and um, I'm involved in a variety of creative pursuits. and And I think that people come to the conclusion that that I'm most interested in um, you know the works of the imagination God has given me and, and the ideas that I have. But the fact of the matter is that I'm far more interested in being an encouragement to the ideas that other people have. I'm always delighted. I get tremendous vicarious joy and satisfaction out of seeing people um, take something that was locked inside of themselves and get it out into the world. Uh, my um, my inspiration is a, is a, a line that Sam Shoemaker gave in a Time Magazine article back in 1955, an article called 
God and Steel in Pittsburgh, uh, Shoemaker said this. This is a quote. The untapped conviction and belief in this city means more to it than all the coal in the hills and all the steel in the mills. If we could train and mobilize that force, Pittsburgh would become a spiritual pilot plant for America. Uh, and so I, I, I get to listen to people's dreams and pains and, uh, and listen for what it is that, um, that they have inside of them, that they want to get outside of them, that they want to contribute and to be an encouragement to them. And uh, I love to do that. I do that in a variety of ways. So I love to write. I love to write stories. I love to write books. I love to speak. Um, I love to be with people one-on-one. Uh, paying attention to who they are and how God made them, and um, and I, I, I've got other you know hobbies and pursuits, but those are my great passions. That's awesome. Uh, so walk us through your leadership journey. You know, were you born and you were three years old and say, hey, I want to be a great leader one day, or did someone tell you you were a leader? I'd love to just hear how you got to where you are today. That's a that's a great great question and really a funny question because the fact of the matter is that uh, I felt a burden for leadership from childhood and I wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, I, uh, I was a painfully shy kid. Uh, I'm a deep introvert, so look at my Myers-Briggs. I'm over on the edge of the wall of introversion. I've never spent too much time alone. And so I figured that um, the burden that I felt for leadership was a mistake and um, uh, no joke. I spent from childhood to somewhere around the age of uh, 27 or 28, asking God to let me off the hook because I would have been happier following someone else and staying out of um, the public eye. I, I would have been more content uh, being, you know, being more, more of a reflective person who, uh, who, uh, pursued his interests in private and uh, it became clear to me that God wasn't going to let me off the hook so at a certain point, uh, 27, 28 years old, I I figured it out and I started uh, praying differently and um, and my prayers went from you know, would you excuse me from these burdens and responsibilities Lord, to alright, do what you want <laughs> and I'm if this is what you want to do, I'm game and, uh, and and you can you can chart the course uh, as you wish. I, I, I came to the conclusion God was going to do that anyway, yeah. so I may as well get with the program. Since then, I've discovered that uh, introverts also can make good leaders. Uh, I'm endeavoring to grow up into a good leader, and so I become a lot more intentional about it. But um, no, if you, I, I was thrown into leadership again and again from childhood. And I didn't enjoy it. Um, it, it, it. It created for me a sense of separation from my peers. Uh, it gave me burdens because I'm attentive to what's going on and stuff doesn't roll off my back easily. And when I see people getting, you know, mistreated, that hurts me. I feel responsibilities and I want it out of it. And, um, um, but I do... Uh, come to recognize that it, that it was a calling from the start, and I'm uh, endeavoring now to be a faithful steward of the calling of leadership in my life. Yeah, that's great. 
Well, who are uh, who are one or two leaders that have had a tremendous impact on you throughout your life? My many, 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 many leaders. Uh, I think everybody um, is impacted uh, again and again and again. I would say outsized impacts uh, would include my first boss when I left college, a man named Sam Thomas, who I worked for when I uh, went to work for um, the the Mennonite Church's voluntary service programs as a as an administrator and then a director. My predecessor here at um, Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation serving leaders, Reed Carpenter, who I worked for for six years and then succeeded in his role 12 years ago. And, um, you know, so I've gone through a path of following, then stepping into his role and working through the dance of, of predecessor and successor and and then re-leveling the relationship to a, um, uh, a peer relationship where I get to, uh, in many ways, um, help him out as uh, he continues to, to age. Bruce Pickle is a foundational impact in my life. He's been a mentor at a very deep level, uh, particularly around my identity as a leader in Christ. Um, I would put Bruce at the top of the list of leaders, but there's so many others, uh, my parents and teachers and colleagues that I have today, uh, so many influences on our lives. Yeah. So what are some things you've done and you continue to do to grow and develop as a leader? I mean, you keep getting these new responsibilities. What have you done to ensure that constant growth? Uh, A couple of things that, uh, first of all, I don't think there's a cookie cutter uh, answer to the question what leaders must do to grow. Uh, What is absolutely true is leaders are continually growing. If leaders aren't growing, they're not leaders. Uh, If leaders aren't growing, um, they aren't learning how they have impact. Uh, They aren't learning how to take better responsibility for their impact. They aren't learning how to teach what they know. I can't teach if I'm not being taught. Uh, I can't pour into others what isn't being poured into me. If I'm not pouring into others, I'm not a leader. So it's you have to grow if you're a leader. Uh, and if you decide to just benchmark what you know and sit tight on it, your leadership is over. One of the core things I do is I listen uh, to my board and I listen to my staff uh, and I, I listen to the people that, that I lead uh, around what's working and what isn't working. I get, I get my greatest teaching from my colleagues, the people I am ostensibly leading, lead me. And um, they are the most immediate line of impact in my life. And I really pay attention to um, uh, how my leadership is impacting them, what they think my blind spots are, um, where they're hurting because of how I'm leading, this is, this is the front line of my education as a leader. I, I make myself a follower of the people that I lead. So what have you done as a leader to develop that culture? So I mean, you could be surrounded by duds who never speak into your life, never challenge you, never see your blind spots. If you're putting together an A-team, I mean, what did you do to do that? Who did you look for? Well, uh, 
We have an A-team, uh, and um, uh, we have an A-team by the grace of God. Um, it's interesting that uh, I'm actually, um, I am not a great selector of people. Uh, I see the best in people, and uh and so as a leader, as a visionary leader, and as a, a, an establisher of the culture, I have made the error over the years of reading positives into a hire that aren't there. Because I, th- I think the best. The glass is always yeah. certainly half full. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I have... Uh, I have increasingly relied on others to help me make hiring decisions. Uh, Our team is really terrific, and I give the credit to my team for being good at selecting people who fit the culture. Now, having said that, um, I'm the person fundamentally that establishes uh, whether or not this is a place where people can speak truth, um, whether we can talk, whether we can give and receive counsel, without playing positional authority with each other. I always tell new staff that um, they're never going to make a mistake by walking into my office and confronting something that's wrong. And I also always tell them, I'm not asking you to believe that that's true because I know that you may need to test that out. But I'm asking you to test it out. I say to them, it is true, but test it. You know, take care of yourself. Um, but test it and let yourself come to discover that in this office uh, you can walk into my office and tell me how I screwed up and it won't be a career mistake. Uh, It'll be appreciated. Uh, I also uh, am always vigilant on my staff around how people receive uh, corrective instruction from one another. I highly value the ability for people to say, you know what, (laughs) you're right. I blew that, and I'm sorry. I love that. And so I I coach for that. Uh, I celebrate it when I see it, and I confront it when people are defensive and and are finger pointers. But fundamentally, it starts with, can people come in here and say to me, what you're doing isn't working, and you need to sit up straighter. Can they do that? And then what happens when they do it? And how do I respond? And so I pay very acute attention to that. And then that, that sets a tone of, of trust. Uh, and it, it creates an ethos of openness where we increasingly can tell each other things. You know, we don't have to be mean to be truthful. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I think people get so harsh is that they found that people won't listen. And so I'm very, very interested. In fact, I have a placard here that says from uh, Psalm 85 that says mercy and truth are met together uh, and um, I'm interested in kindness and truth telling both and so I, I ask people to tell the truth and, and be kind about it and, um, and then to receive the truth and to be willing to change I love that so talk about tell you can be as vulnerable as you want. Talk to me about one or two of your greatest leadership failures and what you learned from them. Yeah, um, we could we could just park here for <laughs> for the rest of time. Um, one of one of my um, my great leadership failures 
occurred um, about 18 years ago when uh, I was I was uh, before I came here to serving leaders uh, I was um, I was gaining traction uh, in the place I was serving um, we were experiencing a lot of growth I was the leader and um, we reached a point where the people I was leading were gaining um, two things were happening they were gaining confidence to confront me and at the same time the effectiveness of the changes I was bringing were really taking root and so there was resistance and um, um, there was a there was a a concentration for a while of criticism on my leadership some of it I earned uh, because I hadn't been paying enough attention and um, uh, I um, I wasn't I wasn't deeply enough connected to the heartbeat some of it I also earned because I was effectively bringing change and there's resistance to change and I misread the criticism I saw it as uh, a, a, a death blow to my effectiveness of leadership in that organization um, I was I was uh, overwhelmed by it I couldn't imagine that I would be able to work through it and be and be effective there uh, I resigned from that position and when I look back on it I mean I'm, I'm glad about everything that occurred as a result of it in terms of my learning and so forth but when I look back I realize that uh, the criticism wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was and that uh, I could have moved toward it instead of taking it as a judgment and a final conclusion I could have become curious about it I could have asked people to get together and and have us talk openly about it and it would have been uh, it would have been far better for that organization had I done that um, but I thought well this is just it's clear that they don't want me in leadership and I, I guess I have to go and in retrospect I think that that judgment is wrong I, I simply could have um, acknowledged that it's happening invited people to get together asked them to explore it with me so we could, could have gotten better and a, a very different outcome would have occurred and so that's been very useful to me because since then I've had occasions when it, by all appearances, um, my leadership effectiveness was over by, by the sound of the criticism. But I've put it into, um, into doubt in my own mind. I've said, well, I'm not sure that's true. Let me at least not be the one who ends my leadership here by misreading this. Let me stay put and let me stay curious and let me stay open and let me learn what this is about and again and again this is, this happens in the lives of leaders these rounds of criticism or questioning pass through rather than have have impact and so I've come to learn um, to um, to breathe and to let God work and to not uh, to not take myself out uh, of leadership Another uh, thing that I continuously do, and my staff uh, talk to me about this frequently and, and we just deal with it, is that 
I, I get out ahead and I see ahead and I lose connection to where we are, which means I lose connection with my team. And so uh, because I have such a great team, they say, uh, hey, John, you're not, <laughs> you're not with us right now. Come on back. Yeah. Uh, and it's, just, it's so important to move with your organization. There's a tension there, of course. We, we see ahead, we move ahead, but we can get too far ahead and we can cut ourselves off from the very thing that we're trying to lead. And, um, and that's pathetic and it's tragic. And left to my own devices, um, I would do it all day long. And so my team helps me with that. That's great. Thanks for, for sharing. Let's transition and talk a little bit about your experience through serving leaders. Uh, through serving leaders, you're constantly around high-level leaders all throughout the, the city of Pittsburgh. And a lot of them are people just like you, people that our generation, the young generation, looks up to. And I know as young leaders, it's easy to look at the people with the corner office and be like, wow, that must be the life, that they're so successful, their lives are perfect. If I could only attain that one day, I'd be successful. Just talk about what you've learned about being around those people, um, lessons that you've learned, and, and really what they're learning in this struggles that they go through at that high level well so i was sitting beside a friend uh, the other day and this man um, i won't name him but he's a he's a beautiful man and he's well known in this community he's a christian leader and um he sold his company for a couple of hundred million dollars not so long ago and uh by all external appearances um it's got it made um and i asked him how he's doing and he said well, I said, uh, nothing's easy. And uh, I thought, that's true. Uh, and so the impression I had when I was young is that we reach a point where things get easy. So I begin by saying that uh, the leaders that I work with uh, and I, as a leader, struggle um, with all the things we've always struggled with. It's in God's interest to keep us growing and to keep us leaning into him. Uh, because if, 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 I, if I arrived and then it got easy, I promise you I would stop growing. And so it's in God's interest to keep upping the, the challenge and, um, and to keep us on our toes so that we grow. Um, the leaders, the leaders that I work with, that I really admire, have come to the realization that it's not about them. Why does that matter? It matters because, given the pain they suffer as leaders, if they thought it was about them, they'd get bitter, or they'd, um, you know, they'd start to misbehave, to try to compensate for all the pain they bear, all the misunderstanding they bear. You know, leaders get talked about. Um, and they get resented and they get blamed and a lot of things and they have to make tough choices so they learn that it's not about them uh, they learn the leaders that I really admire have learned that uh, their leadership is a tool that that God uses to do what God wants to do and so they come to the ability to say ah well, this this day isn't everything I might want it to be but if it pleases God for me to show up in it uh, and to bear these burdens and to be his instrument, I'm pleased to do that. And think about an athlete who, you know, becomes famous just by the jersey effect. 
uh, a stealer, let's say. This is a perfect analogy. They come to be famous by the Jersey effect, and they, they no longer can walk around town and be left alone because it's a famous athlete and kids run over and they're constantly bombarded by, would you sign this, and so forth and so on. That athlete could say, this is really terrible. I don't have a private life. I can't just go out and have a good time. Life isn't fair. By the way, every leader is tempted in that direction. Or that athlete can say, ah, this is a platform God gave me. Yes, it's a burden, but it's a platform. It's not about me. It's not about me. I can move around town and people rush over. So if that's a platform God gave me, how am I supposed to steward it for him? And so we have great athletes in this town who realize that they have to show up at kids camp on Saturday. It's not what they want to do, but they know if they do that the organization they're going to serve can do better because they realize uh, these things God put in their hands aren't for them. They're they're a tool to be used uh, for God's purposes. So these are things the leaders I work with, particularly the ones that, that grow and become beautiful, instead of shrink and end up on the front page of the newspaper. Yeah. These are the leaders that I admire. These, this is what they are learning, and it's what I want to learn, too. Yeah, I love that insight. And, and thank you for sharing your platform just by doing this interview and everyone that's listening to it. I know we appreciate it. So uh, speaking of platforms, you built a platform through your writing and speaking. And uh, I don't know if I need to separate the questions for each or if they're interrelated, but can you talk to us? I mean, I know that that's something I aspire to do. I would love to be an author and a speaker someday. Uh, And I know a lot of the people I uh, hang around wanted the same thing. And so any advice or thoughts on the process of writing a book or building a platform to the point where people want to have you come in and speak? I know that's an open-ended question. Well, yeah, I'll give give a comment or two. Uh, First of all... um, uh, I think you've got to separate the, the work you do to build a business around an aspiration to write and speak from the actual um, work of writing. And um, uh, so get yourself out there, make yourself available by all means, learn how to do that better and better. But when it comes to the actual work of knowing what it is you have to say and getting it said, Uh, You've got to do that whether or not anybody's reading it yet or wanting to hear it. You've got to do it because you have to do it, not because you want to have a book. You've got to do it because you believe you're called to do it rather than that someone has dialed up your number and asked you to come and speak. Uh, one One of the things you can do to separate yourself from all the people who are writing a book is finish one. <laughs> and uh, I, your response was perfect to that. Um, yeah. Just the act of actually getting it done puts you in, a, in a, an elite circle. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I wrote my first couple of books with no expectation that they would ever publish. So um, you got to follow your calling on this and not get ahead of yourself. I think that's what I'd say. Yeah. Anything? Can you talk about the disciplines of that? Maybe systems that you've developed, or just taking the time. Have you developed a system where you write every day, or is there any structure to your madness in writing and speaking? There is structure uh, to my madness, but um, it, it is inadequate. There are people who, you know, can write for half an hour a day. I cannot. Uh, let me reframe that. Uh, reframe that. I 
I choose not to. Uh, I uh, I take whole days to write, and so because I want to spend time getting into what I'm doing, uh, I don't multitask very well, uh, and so uh, my structure is I block writing days, and then that's I wake up thinking about what I'm going to write and I work on it. Uh, I don't block writing times in the day. Other people are wired differently and can do that. Uh, I, I, I say I can't. I don't think I can. I know I don't want to. Yeah. In any event, um, the way I write is how I found it helpful for me. I take a day. I, I schedule them. And I shut off the interferences, and I write on that day. That's great. And on the speaking side, I saw that you were a part of uh, the National Speakers Association. Just to, is, is that worth pursuing if you're an aspiring speaker? Or what have you gained from that experience? Uh, any any circles that give you opportunity to brush shoulders with people that you want to be like is worth it. And um, I'm a big fan of the National Speakers Association. Uh, they are extraordinarily generous in um, the speakers are in helping other speakers. So it's a, it's a tremendous association of people who are all in the same business who are enthusiastic about helping each other. The National Speakers Association helps you with the business side. It's, it's not an organization primarily aimed at helping you learn how to be a better speaker, although there are, there are tools there for that. But what they are acutely good at is helping you build business around being a good speaker. And I, I appreciate them immensely. Uh, and other ways that you can practice, get up in front of people, uh, Toastmasters, all of that is good stuff. But you got to hang around the people you want to become like. And so that's why I would recommend it. That's great. I can edit this out, but I did hear your phone ringing. Do you need to check it? It wasn't know. mine. Oh, okay. It wasn't mine. Was it that one? I heard something rumbling over there, so I just wonder respectfully if it was... Edit it out. Okay. Uh, let's talk about just a few more questions. Talk, just any advice I'm just interested to hear. If you had to give any piece of advice to young leaders, people my age and their 20-somethings, trying to figure out what their career is going to be, trying to figure out what to do with their lives, trying to set themselves apart from their peers, what advice would you give? I, I would, first of all, um, uh, urge younger leaders... To, um, uh, to trust God in this. The, um, uh, what I'm doing right now, which I love to do, uh, frankly, I can't believe I get to do. I did not plan to do. And so when I was, uh, when I was 25, uh, I, I thought I had to figure out where I was going and then figure out how to get there. And that if I didn't figure out where I was going, and if I didn't figure out how to get there, I wouldn't get anywhere. Welcome to my life. Yeah, yeah. So um, it actually doesn't work that way. Um, far better to do two, two or three things. Number one, apply yourself diligently and with excellence to the work that is already in your hand. Do what's right in front of you well. Uh, why? Because that is intrinsically important to do. Uh, if where you want to be down the road is going to be excellent, you're going to have to apply yourself to it with excellence when you get there. You won't be prepared to apply yourself to it with excellence if you don't learn how to apply yourself to what is in your hands right now with excellence. Uh, number two, 
to the extent that you are an, an aspirational person who is goal-oriented, knock yourself out. Um, go for it. So you do what's right in front of you, and then you also be as faithful as you can to the ideas you have of what will get you to the next thing. I'm all for that. I believe goals matter. You should pursue them. But thing number three, hold all of, all of it lightly because you will not end up where you think you'll end up no matter how great your goals are. And so if you lock into your goals and white-knuckle them, you're going to miss the bigger th- thing that God has for you. There's a paradox here. So live in the present. Do what's in front of you well. One. Two, stretch for the future. When, when you know you ought to do something, you feel you ought to do something to get better, do it. Number three, recognize that while you're moving to that future, off from the side may come something that isn't in your goal plan that's better. And uh, keep some peripheral vision. Pay attention to what God is doing so that while you're moving, you notice when he moves and you don't miss it. It's fantastic. I can't wait to listen to this again and take notes. Um, We'll just go to some closing questions. What do you want your legacy to be? 20 years from now, what do you want your life to count for? Uh, I, I feel that my life counts and I... I feel that it counts in this regard. Uh, I hear people say to me that um, they got encouragement. They um, they went from you know in large or small ways from feeling stuck or feeling discouraged or feeling lost to a place of greater trust and um, more oxygen and a greater ability to, to, to depend on God. That's what I want my legacy to be. I, I want people who encounter me to settle more deeply into the providence of God uh, and to um, lean more into Him and um, to let Him carry... The, you know, the heavy load. Um, that, that's that's what I want. Uh, that, that that people and I want people to feel less isolated. And feel like they're more connected to themselves, to each other, and and to God. Uh, so, if I keep hearing that, um, I'll be I'll be very very pleased. That's great. Uh, I have to. I always ask this question, but what books have you read that made a great impact? What, what books would you recommend to me and to all the young leaders out there to read? You know, it's a it's an interesting question. Um, I, I almost exclusively read fiction. Really. And um, so, uh, you know, I've enjoyed a variety of books. I I love autobiography and biography when I was younger I didn't but um, uh, I love biographies of our founding fathers here in the United States Um, I love autobiographies of uh, people who've gone through great things I get tremendous encouragement from them because I realize that they had tremendous travail and 
their lives counted. This goes back to what I said earlier. People think that when it's difficult, something's wrong. It isn't. Um, sometimes when it's difficult, things couldn't be better. Uh, and um, but I read fiction. Uh, you know, I, I read C.S. Lewis and and I read uh, I read Tolkien and uh, I love the human story. Um, I feel deeply connected to, you know, to the, the, I'll say the passion, the suffering and the faithfulness of the human story. And I, I love Dostoevsky. And so I'm a bit of an oddball, I suppose. Uh, I'm more likely to pick up a work of fiction than, let's say, um, you know, a, a book with some bullet points on how to be a better person. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's life on life for me that way, testimony and story and witness uh, that I uh, I get a great deal out of. That's great. And uh, any last piece of advice for me and, and leaders out there? Um, step it up. <laughs> you know, I, um, uh, I, I've talked about this a, a great deal. Uh, my little book, With, uh, is about this. Uh, I know that one of the things that God is in the business of is growing us. Uh, there's, a, there's much he's in the business of I have no idea about. But um, clearly in God's business model, in God's leadership model, one of his chief purposes here on earth is to grow human beings, to grow us up so that we can hold more, handle more, share in more with him. Sharing his suffering, sharing his joy. Jesus said, if you want to share in my joy, you got to share in my suffering. So I say, okay, because I do want to share in his joy. Yeah. If that's the deal, I'll do it. And, um, and so we, our job is to grow up and, um, and not be so thin-skinned and not take stuff so personally. And when things whack us to say, to learn how to say, well, thank you, God, that, that was not pleasant. But... Um, you know, when hardship comes to us, it is a sign of God's investment in us becoming um, purified, more powerful, greater vessels for his use. And so I'd, and I'd say, uh, you know, we, we have to grow up. And I say it to myself, first of all. So uh, stretch. Uh, there's a world of uh, tremendous challenge there, and we need to step in. And, uh, and let ourselves be maximally used. You know, we feel that somehow it would be great to reach a point where life is easy and we're full, right? Cram ourselves full of everything we want. But it's quite the opposite. Uh, life is hard. Embrace it and empty yourself. Uh, cross the line spent. That is satisfaction. Go for it would be my word. That's great. Thank you so much. And how can we serve you, my, the audience that's listening, how can we serve you and partner with what uh, Serving Leaders in the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation is doing? Well, uh, join us in in uh, in our view. Uh, join us in our view. Our view is that, as I said at the beginning, we don't exist for ourselves. Um, this organization exists to awaken great purpose. Uh, and um, let's, get, let's get past ourselves. Uh, our city is... Uh, doesn't exist for itself either. Our city is supposed to be a, a light on the hill, and so let's let's be willing to have our lives transformed into instruments of service. Let's have our enterprises increasingly bring value to the world, and um, and let's understand that our life uh, is an opportunity to uh, to die. 
uh, so that bigger things can be born. So join it would be how you can serve us. Look to you. Uh, thank you so much, John. Appreciate your time. My pleasure.